Um, if you don't know me, know anything about me, I actually, um, I came here from the Midwest. Uh, I did like, um, I did a crazy year of master's commission here uh, in Sacramento, uh, which was just awesome. Got any masters? Masters? Yeah, alumni people? What up? <laughs> Aaron, that was beautiful. Um, I'm not used to having a microphone, so I'm not used to my, my voice echoing, and it's pretty intense. Anybody ever just talk and your voice echoes, and you're like, hmm, that's weird. That's what I sound like. Awkward. Um, well, anyway, so I came out here and I did a year of master's, and then uh, when I got done with my internship, uh, I did like, or, or with my master's commission deal, uh, I did that for a year, and then I did two years of interning in the youth ministry. Um, I did that for, for, like I said, two years, got done with that, and was asked to come on staff, and I worked on staff as an associate youth pastor here at this church uh, for about three years, and then, um, you know, I kind of I kind of joked around a lot about how I was going to be like the 40-year-old single guy, because... Like, I just could not really find somebody that I really just wanted to, like, date. Like, I would find, it would be like, oh, it's kind of interesting, but I'm over it. Like, whatever. Um, you know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't working, you know what I mean? And then I went home on this one, on this one Christmas break, uh, and my, my family lives in the Rockford, Illinois area. And so we went to Rockford, Illinois, and then we go to this church. And I walked into church, and then there was, like, I had a moment. You know what I mean? Like, if you've met that person in your life, like, you know the moment I'm talking about. And uh, I, had, I had a moment when I should have been worshiping the Lord. Um, and I just totally froze because my wife, now wife, was up on stage. She was singing, and she was on the worship team at this church. And I actually had known her from high school, but um, what kind of on this crazy thing where uh, we dated. How long did we date for? She's in the back of the room. She's really hot, but she's hiding. Um, hey. Everybody wave, wave. It's impolite to not wave. You're meeting her. Her name's Mary. She's, she's awesome. And then um, at, that's Lucas. He's four years old. He's my uh, stepson, and we have lots of fun with him. But I saw her and then went on this crazy uh, kind of dating rampage where we spent lots of money on plane tickets flying back and forth and doing crazy stuff, and then eventually came to the conclusion that we were going to get married. Uh, we both, what's funny is after we talked about it, we both kind of knew after about like a month. And I know, I know you hear people say that, and you go, you're an idiot right? I know you say that because I said that all the time, right? Anybody, right? You know this. She was around. Like, whenever anybody started dating, they were like, this is the one. I was like, you're an idiot. That's dumb. And then it happened to me, <laughs> like, in a month. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> Eat my words. <laughs> Not fun. But uh, we both knew after about a month that we were like, we're like, dude, this is it. This is what's happening. And so I moved from Sacramento to Waukesha, Wisconsin, right? Just by the name, you go, that's a great move, don't you? <laughs> brilliant. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are like, dude, what are you thinking? You're crazy. And you're right, I am crazy. But uh, this is kind of the way that it works. This is the way that I feel about it. And I hope that by the time we get done tonight, I hope you feel the same way about it. That when God gives you some direction, you just go. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You don't like dilly-dally. I mean, all of us in here, we're just singing the words on these songs. Did you stop for a moment to think about what those words just said? My soul sings. What does that mean? Your spirit from the innermost place of who you are, where you hide all those kind of secret things of, of, of what you're afraid of and what you love and what you're excited about and what you're worried about. And, and in this deep place is suddenly singing, my soul sings how I love you. I mean, that's not like a weak move, is it? That's not like, hey, dude, I'm kind of interested in you. You're kind of cool. You know what I mean? It's not like, let's hang out sometime. We'll go, you know, we'll go get a Jamba Juice. I haven't had Jamba Juice in like two years. I'm getting one later. 
that settles it. I'm sorry, I just totally got sidetracked. Um, it, it's, it, but, even, but even before that, I mean, you listen to some of the words of the songs and the songs that we sing, and they make these really, really bold statements, don't they? They make these really, really bold statements about how we're going to live and what we're going to do. And how many of you have had this experience? Because I've had it before where I've been in church, and I've sang these bold statements about God, you are this, and I'm going to give my whole life to you. Everything I've got, I'm holding nothing back. And you walk out the door, and like an hour later, you've just done something you know you should not have done. Anybody been there before? I got, my, I got like two hands up. <laughs> Idiot, right here. You know what I mean? You just you go, and you, and you get done, right? And you get done in that moment. You just did something you knew you shouldn't have done. And then the guilt is overwhelming, and you begin to think about the words you just sang. And there's kind of this like uh, circular motion going on of like, God, I'm going to give everything to you. I, I, want, I, want, I want everything you've got. I want to follow you with everything that I've got. And then there's kind of these moments where some of us, and it's easy to go to this place, it's easy to, it's easy to live here, where you go, God, I want all of you, but then in real life, the chances of that happening, I've just kind of given up on it because I realize the chances are slim to none. The circumstances, the way that I live, the habits that I have, the things that I do, they're like a mountain and I really don't know if I can really overcome that. Just saying, God, I love you, or God, I'm going to give everything to you, does not mean that you walk out the door and suddenly things are gone, right? I mean, they're still there. Uh, you'd have to lie to say that they're not. And, and nobody here is, is wanting to lie to you about that and tell you, well, you know what, you give your life to God and everything's solved. I'd be blowing smoke up your butt. You know what I mean? And that's not fun for either one of us. <laughs> you or me. That's just weird. Awkward moments. We're going to have lots of fun, awkward moments tonight. Just prepare yourself. It's all good. Uh, but one of the things that I love, you know, uh, I've actually, uh, I've known Eric Knopf now for a while. And um, before I left, we were actually working on some stuff with Epic Life and having some fun. And <laughs> he got so mad at me that I met this girl. Oh, no. And I was moving across the country, and he yelled at me a lot. And, but then we, we made up. We hugged. It's cool. Um, but I, I love the idea of Epic Life because how many of you guys would be equally as attracted to come to this tonight if it was called, like, Just Below Average Life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let's go to Mediocre Life. <laughs> It'd be awesome. It's epic life, and epic by its, like, its own definition, epic is something that is, like, heroic. It's something that's impressive. It's something that causes people to talk, right? And for all of us, if you say, you know what, I'm following Jesus, one of our roles, one of our purposes is to live a life that causes other people to talk about it. The way that we live, the things that we do should stir some talk. It should, it should stir some interest. It shouldn't be something, you know what I mean? Like, I, I've thought about this before because, like, uh, 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 the word epic is a word that's used in reference to stories. Uh, stories about great men, great things, great adventures. One of the, one of the greatest, uh, most well-known epics is, um, is Homer's Odyssey, right? But how intense and how powerful and how moving would Homer's Odyssey have been if it was about a dude sitting at home playing video games, eating Cheetos, you know what I mean? And just like chilling out. Not epic. It's less than epic, right? That's the mediocre, right? Homer's Odyssey is intense and it's powerful because you got this guy going on this adventure and he's like fighting all these crazy like mythical creatures and like the gods are against him and he's doing his whole thing. It's like Greek mythology. Can we talk about that in here? Nobody's going to freak out. You probably read about it in school, right? Homer's Odyssey? Yeah? Sweet. Cool. So I just, I, I feel like I'm talking and you're going like, Homer's Odyssey, like Homer Simpson, like, <laughs> what? I, that happens to me a lot, it's cool. Uh, but, 
Uh, but, but one of the goals, obviously you're walking in here, you're walking in here, and the, and the name of the uh, place that you're at or the gathering that you're at is Epic Life, which tells me that you have some interest in your life being more than mediocre, being more than average, being more than just like subpar. And tonight I want to talk to you about uh, what I really honestly believe that we uh, as Christians, which I don't know if you know this, but you came into a Christian gathering, so everything I'm going to be talking about tonight is going to be referencing Christ and Jesus. Uh, if you come in and you're like, you know what, I'm just scoping this out, I'm checking it out, and I'm not, I, I'm not really totally comfortable with Jesus, then you can, you, if you want, you can cut the Jesus stuff out because it's still truth, and it still applies, and it's still, uh, it, it still will apply to every area of your life if, you, if it just makes you more comfortable to, like, uh, you know, substitute Jesus with Joe when I speak in your mind. I don't care. Go for it. But hear what I'm saying tonight. Uh, before we get started, and I love it because, uh, you know, you guys have an awesome uh, leadership team here. And they were praying for me beforehand, and, and somebody said something like, bring the hammer, and all those kind of stuff. And honestly, like, I feel like that is a little bit of what, what God's kind of laid on my heart to do. But I want to I preface it with this, okay? Uh, because a lot of times what happens is, is we're in church, and, or, or we're in some gathering, and somebody says something, right? And we get offended. Anybody ever been offended before in church? Anybody? Mm, yeah, I've been there too. I've offended people, because uh, uh, that happens. It happens to me sometimes. Um, but check it out. This is what I want to ask you to do for a moment, because it may just be that I offended you, and that's okay. Uh, if, if, if I did, you can come talk to me. I'll apologize to you. Uh, my goal is not to offend someone. But, hey, chances are, chances are that tonight what I'm speaking to you, because it's not something that I'm just like, hey, this really feels good. I, I just want to tell you about this. I'm trying to gather people to follow Connor Manning. Uh, I'm speaking to you, to, to you tonight out of God's word and a message that I believe that God laid on my heart. So if you begin to feel offended or you feel a little awkward or uncomfortable, I want you to just, for my sake, assume that it's possible that it's the Holy Spirit. Just for a moment. Think maybe it's possible this offends me or makes me uncomfortable because God is wanting to change something in me and it's contradicting the way I've done things before. And so now I've got this kind of uncomfortable tension, which we're going to talk about a little bit tonight because uh, uncomfortable tension is a good thing. Um, so check it out. Let's get started. You guys ready to get started? We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, what I want to talk to you tonight about is something that I think that most of us as, as Christians and as people, we really, really struggle with a lot. And uh, if you've ever known anybody or you've been in this position before where you walk in a church and you hear the message of God, or you hear the message about Jesus, and you give your life to Christ, and then you walk out the doors and you're kind of surprised about the fact that everything doesn't get worked out for you or everything doesn't just kind of like fall into place. Or you say, you know what, I've given my life to Jesus and it's been years now, years and I'm still going to church, and I'm still trying, but things are not changing. And uh, one, of, one of the things that I believe happens, and one of the reasons, that, well, really what I believe is the biggest reason why that happens is what I want to talk to you about tonight, because there's a transition, a point where we have to kind of flip this switch, and we have to understand that God is wanting to do something bigger in us than what we're recognizing, and we're trying to change certain things, but what we're trying to change isn't really what God is trying to change, and God wants you to work on this area over here, and, and he wants you to stop focusing on, on this. And I know that's really vague, but by the end of the night, I promise you it's going to make a whole lot of sense. Um, uh, so tonight, what I want to talk to you about is that um, most of us, most of us, we would give our life to Christ, and we would think that maybe our actions will, will ultimately be altered, right? We, we make this, uh, we, we have this moment at an altar, we have this moment in, uh, in the presence of God, and we say, God, I'm going to follow you, I'm feeling like, man, I really need to do this. I, I've come to this conclusion that the way that I've done things in the past and I'm assuming this is true for you because this is the way it was for me, uh, is that 
I came to a point where I could not deny the reality that the way that I was doing things was not working, and God's way seemed to be working uh, for a whole lot of people, and it sounded like a whole lot better than the things that I was doing, and I went, wait a minute, my way kind of sucks, and your way seems a whole lot better, so I'm going to stop doing things my way, and I'm going to start doing things your way. Kind of like somewhere in there, it's kind of like maybe that's kind of how it worked. You recognize that in your life, where you were going, what you were doing was not accomplishing the things that you wanted. It wasn't taking you towards epic life. It wasn't taking you towards something better. It wasn't taking you towards something that you were really proud of. And you went, wait a minute, something's got to change. So I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I recognize that I have fallen short, that I can't go as far as I, uh, on my own as I can with him. I understand that, uh, that, that God has a plan for me and I'm not living it out right now. But you saw that and you went, okay, all right, God, I get it. I get it now. I've smacked my face on the brick wall enough times now to figure out I need to go a different direction. All right, I'm here. So that moment happens, and you give your life to Jesus, and you walk out the door, and maybe things are, are kind of better because you're feeling really good, or maybe you, you kind of have that, that, that moment. But ultimately, you figure out that things are not just falling into place. And it's because you get confused for a minute. You see, a lot of us, we think that the entire point of salvation is to be saved by grace. We think that it ends there, and we want it to end there because if it ends with being saved by grace, then I don't have to do a whole lot. But the reality of it is, is that God does not save you by grace so that he can fix your actions. God saves you by grace so that he can mold your character. Does that make sense? God does not want to fix your actions. Your actions are not that concerning to him. Like the little things that you do, because sometimes we get confused and we think that our sin is all about the actions. When in reality, what I think breaks God's heart a whole lot more is, is how our actions reflect back on our character. And it says, this is where my heart actually is. I sing these words with my mouth, but in reality, my heart isn't really there. Does that make sense? And, and it, begins, it begins to mess with us because we think that it's about, we, we think, man, if I can just stop doing this or I can just stop doing this single thing, suddenly things are going to get fixed and everything's going to get back together. But how many of you have ever figured that out before that you think, man, if I just fix this one thing and everything's going to just fall into place and you fix that one thing and then like three more things pop up after that. You're like, dang it, man. You just feel like you can't get ahead. You're trying to fix your actions and God wants to fix your character. Some of you would sit here and you'd look at me and you'd go, well, what really is character? How do you define character? I would define character as conviction in action. Your character is your conviction in action. And conviction is just like a big, shiny Christian word for what you really, really, really believe to be true. Because you act on what you really, really, really believe to be true. What you're convicted about, what you feel conviction for, what you really believe to be truth, will influence the things that you do and the way that you act, the way that you live. Think about it for a moment. All of your heroes, people of character. We don't admire people who don't have good character. Most of the times that you failed, most of the times you failed, and I, I'm, just, I'm speaking from personal experience and times that I've talked with I don't know how many different people, but your greatest disappointment isn't in just the single action, but your greatest disappointment is what it reflects about your character. It rises and falls on character. Conviction in action, what you really, really believe. Now that tension 
that I was talking about for a moment there, that tension is actually like a psychological principle. How, how many guys in college, anybody in college, going to college, psychology classes, anybody? Anybody psychology? Maybe? Like, maybe. <laughs> I like psychology, it's cool. Um, in my psychology class, uh, actually at American River when I lived out here, it's all right. It's all right to have fun. Um, at American River, I went to, uh, I, I took some classes there, and I went into the psychology class, and one of the things we talked about, and I've been talking about it a lot frequently or, or recently because I really feel like it's something that God is, is working in in me and, and, and is just kind of bringing out in me, but it's this term called cognitive dissonance. You guys know what that means? Cognitive dissonance. We got one. <laughs> we got a couple. Cognitive dissonance. If you've ever heard this term, basically what it means is, is that there are moments and times, moments in our lives where we have a belief and something comes along that is contrary to that belief. It could be another belief, it could be an idea, it could be an action, and suddenly tension arises with it because the two things contradict and they can't exist at the same time, right? It's like saying, you know, I'm a really peaceful person, uh, I just really, I believe in, uh, you know, peaceful actions, and like you go home and you play like violent video games, right? Like it just doesn't really make sense. Like if you're really that into peace, and you're just like, I really think that, you know, like Nelson Mandela, he's the way to go. But I like to blow people up in my pastime. It's sweet. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense for us to say things like, man, you know what? I really believe in purity. I really believe in, in, in you know, God's way of dealing with sex and sexuality. I really believe in what the Bible says about how we should handle those things. There should be some tension that arises in you when you're watching something that deals with it in a different way. When you're listening to something that deals with it in a different way when you're about to engage in it in a, in, a, in a different way than what God says, right? And for a lot of us, we would call that our conscience, right? Let your conscience be your God. You know what I mean? You got to have that moment, anybody? Anybody? <laughs> conscience. Awkward tension. Suddenly things are not meshing because you've got a belief and you've got this thing, this moment, this opportunity, a contrary belief that now are about to hit one another. We can't exist. Eventually one wins, right? That's the way that cognitive dissonance works. Character is conviction in action. Cognitive dis dissonance is when you have two beliefs or two things that don't line up and there's the tension that arises inside of you. Uh, and when we have this, when we have these moments, when we have these moments and we come to the conclusion that our character is less than what we would like it to be, right? You have this failure, you have this moment where you just walked through it and you got done and you went like, what in God's name was I thinking? Why did I do that? Why did I go there? Why was I with that person? Why did, whatever, you know what I mean? I don't even know what it is. But you just have that moment where you go, why did I do that? You come to the conclusion that your, uh, your character is jacked up. And since your character is conviction and action, you come to the conclusion that your beliefs are jacked up. What you really, really believe, what you really, really feel convicted about is different than what God uh, wants you to feel that, that, that conviction over. What he really wants you to hold is that deep, deep truth. Is this making sense? Suddenly, you're walking into a moment where you are doing something and you're surprised by your actions, but in reality, your character has been predicting that moment for a long time. It's been coming. And you just, you haven't paid attention to it. Does that make sense? And, and we spend all this time trying to worry about the action when in reality, God is, is concerned about our character. Cognitive dissonance, it, it kind of sometimes it shows up like this, and this is just kind of a fun way to describe it, but uh, like I told you, I have a four-year-old. Um, I, I call him, he's my stepson, but I call him my son because uh, I don't want him to ever grow up and think that he's not, like, mine. You know what I mean? Uh, I want him to grow up thinking, man, you know, like, that's, 
I belong to him. I'm his. You know what I mean? Like, I want him to know that kind of ownership. And um, one of the things that uh, a friend of mine inspired me to do is I was, I was thinking about, he, he did this with his kids, and I was like, man, that's really cool. So now every night before we go to bed, we sit down and we read a Bible story. Um, and at first it was kind of hard to get him into it, you know, because he's like four and he's like bouncing off the wall, and you're like, you're like reading him a Bible story, and he's like, hey, there's a car over there on the floor. And you're like, <laughs> waste of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like not paying attention. So what we did at first is um, like the very first story that I did with him just to get him like really into it uh, was we, we read David and Goliath, like the story of David and Goliath. And when we read it, we kind of handed out parts. So obviously I became Goliath and he became David. And then we like videotaped ourselves acting out David and Goliath. And it was just absolutely absurd. Um, it was, it was totally ridiculous. I had like a yellow bat, one of those, whoa, hey. <laughs> uh, I had one of those yellow like wiffle ball bats. That was my sword. And I think he had like a sock or something. And he's like, whoosh, 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 flinging it. You know what I mean? Got him into it. But we've been reading these Bible stories. And, um, a few nights ago, we actually had this really interesting conversation. And, uh, we were reading the story of Abraham and Isaac when he's going up to sacrifice him on the altar, which is kind of a heavy thing for a four-year-old to understand anyway, right? I mean, like, why was he about to stab him? Well, God told him to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why would God do that? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's hard to explain to begin with. But the point, of, the point that we came to at the end when we're talking about it is that God has to be number one. And I'm, I'm getting a lot of, mm, yes, that's so true, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and this is for me too. I would nod yes, yes, I agree with that, absolutely. But more often than not, I'm pretty disappointed with, like, the place that God has. You know what I mean? Like, really when I look at my actions, because someone told me that the things that are really important to you, all you need to do to figure it out is look at your wallet or, or your checkbook and your calendar. <laughs> you know what I mean? And those two things will tell you a story about how important whatever that thing is to you, because you spend your time and your money on what you really care about. Um, and so sometimes when we look back, that's a little freaky, but we're like, man, you know, God's got to be the most important thing. God's the most important person in your life, and I'm telling him this, and we're talking, and he stops, and he goes... Mm, I think mommy's the most important person in my life. <laughs> mm, yeah, it is really cute. It is really cute. But I was like, yeah, you know, that, that's true. Like, mommy is the most important, like, physical person. But Lucas, God has got to be the most important person in your life. You know what I mean? Like, the most important thing in your life. He's going to be the one that's going to guide you and protect you. And, da, 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 and we're going through all this stuff. And he goes, he starts to get kind of teary-eyed. Because in his mind, like, he's thinking... If I say that God is the most important person, it takes mom out of place, right? That's the way that he's dealing with it inside. And so he gets like teary-eyed and his little lip begins to quiver. And he's like, but mommy's the most important person in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, all right, never mind. We're just not even going to talk about it right now because it's too complicated to explain to him. But he has a better grasp on this cognitive dissonance thing than any of us do. Because he understands that to move God in means to move something out, right? He gets it, and it freaks him out. He's not ready to let go of mama yet, and it's okay because he's four, so whatever. <laughs> I mean, like, it's all good. Uh, but for us, it, it's, it, just, it just doesn't work. It's not the way that life works. And the sad thing is that for most of us, we say, man, you know what? I want to be this person of character. I want to be this person whose life makes an impact. I want my life to be something that speaks to people, that when people are around me, how many of you guys would say, I want, I want it to be this way? When people are around me, I want them to know that God is the most important thing in my life. Don't be shy. I mean, it's a Christian group, so if you put your hand up, it's kind of a cool thing. So, you know, I mean, it's cool. 
I, mean, I, love it. I love it how people get so awkward about raising hands. Does this happen to you, Eric? They're like <laughs> cranking their hand up. God, I just don't want to put my hand. Someone will see my hand. God. Anyway, I want you to think about it for a moment, though. I want you to think about uh, uh, th- this for a moment because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of mess, hopefully, with your theology a little bit. I'm gonna, I, I hope this just tweaks you a little bit and, and maybe sends you home going like, crap, I do that. You know what I mean? Like, dang it. I, I hope this does. I want you to think back for a moment with me on the last time you did something that you knew you should not have done. And not something where it was like an accident, you know what I mean? Like where you like, I don't know, accidentally cut in front of somebody like in a line or something stupid like that. I'm talking about a, a moment when you did something and you knew before you did it you should not have done that. Okay? Just go there with me for a moment. I'm going to give you a second to collect your thoughts. Think about it. I knew I should not have done it, and I did it anyway. Now, what I'm going to guess is, what I'm going to guess happened was, is you began to have a conversation with yourself in your head, where suddenly the tension came up, you felt the cognitive dissonance, you knew that one had to win, either you were going to or you were not going to, either you were going to do the right thing or you were going to do the wrong thing, there was no like halfway, I'm going to halfway do it. No, that doesn't really work, it's either you do it or you don't. And so you begin to have this conversation inside, and suddenly you have this thought, uh, there's kind of a third variable that comes into play, that you feel is kind of like your free pass to go like, okay, I can do it, okay? I want you to think about it for a moment. And I'm going to guess that the third variable that came in was something that God intended for a really, really great purpose that we twist and manipulate and use for very, very weird things. And I'm going to guess that you uh, all of a sudden brought in this conviction or this deep, really, really deep belief that God is love and God is grace and God wants to save you by grace and that his grace covers all your sins And so you went, you know what? I'm going to do it, and God's going to cover it. It's going to be okay if I mess up this one time, because I'm saved by grace. And God loves me anyway. I've been there, and I've done it. Right? And what we do is, as Christians, we come in, we get saved by grace, and then we hang our hat on that. And we say, you know what, I've been saved by grace, and so that's all I really need, and that's all I really want, because that's the easy, fluffy part. But as we talked about, when we sing the songs that we sing, and we make the statements that we make, and if you really get down and you read the things that Jesus said, he didn't say anything about things being fluffy and easy. He said everything about stuff being hard. He said everything about doing the hard thing. And tonight I want to read to you what Jesus' standard is. Because what happens to us is this. We think that we can just operate on the grace factor and say, well, Jesus is going to cover me by grace. Jesus is going to cover me by grace. So I can just, it's all right if I mess up here. It's all right if I do this here. You know what? God loves me. I'm covered by grace. And then we get confused later, right, when we feel like God's presence isn't with us. We get confused later, right, when we walk into a worship setting and we feel like, man, you know what? This just isn't right. I don't feel guilty. I feel awkward. I feel weird. We get confused later when we go, man, you know what, uh, I really want to read my Bible and I really want to really pray, but I feel like my prayers are like hitting the ceiling and they're going nowhere. I want to read this to you because Jesus makes this statement and it, 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 it's, it's really, really hard to swallow. But I love the way that he says it because he kind of takes the blame off of himself for a moment. And I'm going to take the blame off myself because it's Jesus saying it, not me. And so if you want to get upset, you can get upset with him, but it's not going to do you much good. So have fun with that. Um, But I want to show you something. It's in John 14, verses 19 through 24, if you want to open up your Bible. If if you have a Bible on your your table, you can grab it. 
um, John 14, verses 19 through 24. Um, in this passage, Jesus has been describing, or in this chapter, he's been describing that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit is going to come, that he's going to leave and the Holy Spirit is going to come, and it's going to be like his spirit dwelling with a bunch of different people that he can't be everywhere at once, but the Holy Spirit can. And so he's describing this to the disciples. And then in John 14, verse 19, he begins to say this. He says, before long, the world will not see me anymore because I'll be dead. Okay? Just joking. I just think it's kind of funny. <laughs> like, it's a funny way to say it. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. Why don't you just say it? I'm going to die. Anyway, um, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. So because I'm resurrected, you'll also be resurrected. Because my life goes beyond this physical body, your life will also go, go beyond physical body. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands, and that's a key word there, has my commands. How many of you have God's commands? Anybody kind of know what they are? You have like a vague general idea? If you don't know what they are, get yourself one of these. Most sold book in the world ever. You can find one pretty much anywhere. And if you can't find one on your own, I'm sure that our good friend Eric or any of the uh, Epic Life staff, people, volunteer staff, what do you, I don't know, leadership team, I'm sure they can help you find one. But it's right here. It's not hard to find. God doesn't hide it from us. He puts it right here. But he says, whoever has my commands, and he puts an and, right? And is not or. It's not the same thing. It's not like I'll have Cheerios or Lucky Charms. You know what I mean? It's not either or. It's and. It's both qualifying. It means both things have to happen. It means that, 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 that they exist on an equal plane, and if one happens without the other, it doesn't work out. Has my commands and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, because Judas was like, well, that's kind of weird. Why did you say that? I don't like that. That's not very much fun. He responds back. He says, then Judas, and this is not Judas that later hangs himself and betrays Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Different Judas. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? And that sounds like a really good question, right? Because you're like, hey, wait a minute. We already know who you are. We already know who you are. So if you want to show your presence to somebody, shouldn't you be doing it out there? Shouldn't you be going out there and showing your presence to them? Shouldn't all of a sudden, because how many of you guys have ever asked the question, if God really loves the world, why doesn't he just send his presence down on everybody? Anybody ever asked that question? You've ever wondered that? You know what I mean? Like you go, why would children die in Haiti? Why would they die, you know, da, da, da. If, you know, if God wants to save everybody, if God really wants to save everybody, why doesn't he just do it? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it, Jesus, he, he's looking at this guy because he's asking that kind of a question, like, why don't you just do it this way? And, and Jesus, and I still don't really totally know the answer to that question, but Jesus looks back at him and he brings him back again because he's like, you're missing the point of what I'm saying right now. Because sometimes we ask questions like that because we want to skirt the responsibility of what's being told to us in the moment. Does that make sense? We hear something about who God is and what God wants us to do and we go, well, I would totally believe in that if God would just save everybody else. <laughs> well, fine. Okay. So don't believe. Congratulations. <laughs> You've gained nothing. You've gone nowhere. Okay, great. You know what I'm saying? But we have those moments where we try, and, we, try and, we try and maneuver around it, and that's really what I think Judas is trying to do. He's trying to maneuver his way around. So Jesus replies, doesn't even address his question. If anyone loves me, 
he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. If one is true, then the opposite is true, right? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you're not obeying my commandments, then you must not really love me. Right? I mean, that's the gist of what he's saying. If you're not obeying, you don't really love. If you love, you obey. Makes sense. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. That's his, like, get out of jail, like, don't come and get ticked at me. This is what God says. And sometimes we look at passages of Scripture like that, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, obey God's commandments. That's a really cool idea. But let me tell you this. If sometimes beliefs can lose to other beliefs, I will put my money on it every single time. A cool idea will lose to a belief. And this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes we adopt God's words, his commands. He calls them commands, and sometimes we call them ideas. Sometimes we look at them and we say, well, you know what, God? You've got some really cool ideas about sexual purity. But what I believe and what I've been kind of trained to believe and what I've believed for, you know, 20 years now or 25 years now or whatever it may be, what I've believed is that sex is going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. And so while this is like a really cool idea and I try and mold my life to it and I try and stick to it, really deep down I've been looking for an opportunity to engage. And that's scary because we do it, right? We go, man, you know what, God? I understand that it's wrong to cheat. But in the back of our head, what we've been raised to believe and what we've believed for a really, really long time is that it is possible for us to cheat and get ahead in life. And so we look around for an opportunity to cheat. We think, man, you know what, honoring authority seems like a really good idea, right? Honoring authority. That sounds like downright spiritual. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do it. But in reality, we've believed for a really, really long time that we're smarter and better and better at that than our leader or the person above us, our boss at work, our teacher, professor, whatever it may be. We believe deep down inside that we're better than they are. And so we look for an opportunity to undercut them and talk behind their back. And it's because it's remained an idea and it's never become a belief, a conviction, something you've decided to own in the deeper, most inner part of who you are. I want to point two things out to you tonight. Um, and hopefully, um, these, these are some kind of keys to success. Number one, we already kind of pointed out but we have to know what it is that he's commanding. Uh, there's really only one way to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we, we like the idea of like shortcut, microwave, you know what I mean? Take out a loan and buy a house and buy a car and buy a boat and buy an elephant. And while we're at it, I mean, why not? And we'll just like hang out and ride an elephant around. It'd be sweet. Um, we think that's a really good idea. You know what I mean? But then all of a sudden people realize, right, when they're taking out loans, all of a sudden they realize that they're like, overextended and, and financially can't handle it and can't make it and can't pay everywhere and can't do everything. Uh, we think that it's like a really good idea to take a shortcut to get all the things that we want. But check this out. This does not work that way. It never will. It never has. It just won't. You can't like get commands by osmosis, all right? I promise you, you can't go home and lay your head down on your pillow tonight and like wake up and you just know everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work, but some of you have tried it, right? 
Some of you, be honest, you take your Bible, you put it under your pillow, you sleep on it, and you think, I'm just going to be a better Christian by the time I wake up. <laughs> oh, man, if only that were true, that'd be awesome. Come on, man. Get with the times. Um, it really only happens one way. And that's when you choose to make it happen, when you choose to make it a priority. Uh, like we talked about in your, in your calendar and the way you spend your time, reading the Bible, okay? And I know that that's like a, you're like, oh, man, you know, because a lot of you right now, you're doing that right now. You're going, reading the Bible, that is a great idea. Great idea. But deep down, what I really, really believe is I really, really need like 10 and a half hours of sleep every night. And so I just can't make that a priority right now. Okay. All right. Well, good luck getting close to God. Have fun with that one. Because you're just going to spend the rest of your life just struggling and, and trying to figure out, how do I understand God's heart? How do I understand God's word? How do I get close to God? Well, at some point, you're going to have to sacrifice something. At some point, you're going to have to give something up. The only way to do it is to spend time seeking it. You have to spend time in the word, and luckily, uh, you have Bible studies. Luckily, you have gatherings like Epic Life. Luckily, uh, you, have, like, you can have small group gatherings. Luckily, there's like a million and a half online resources for you to go on and check stuff out and read. You know what I'm saying? Like, the internet is, is, is a blessing and a curse all in itself because it has the craziest, weirdest junk on it, but it also has some really, really cool stuff. Um, but you have some really great opportunities right here in the midst of you to learn and grow in your understanding of God's word. And the second thing is this, and again, it's not mystical or magical. It's not going to like rock your socks off or anything. You're not going to go, oh, I never thought of that before. It's just simply hard. And that's why we don't do it. It's just really, really hard. And that's you have to obey. You need something? BibleGateway.com, great one. BlueLetterBible.com is a good one if you want to check out some of the Greek uh, to English translations, stuff like that. Great resources online. There's all sorts of different stuff. We'll take, if you want to share suggestions, we can do that at the end. We'll just, we're going to keep, we're going to keep moving. Is that cool? You're all good, man. I'm, whatever. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. It's good stuff. Um, the second thing is that you have to obey, and that's the not fun part. That's the really not fun part. What that means is, is that when you feel the cognitive dissonance rising up inside of you when you're presented with a moment to do the wrong thing, you have to just decide within yourself to do the right thing. Because what it says is, in that, in that passage of scripture, I don't know if you caught this theme or not, but what it says is, is that God's presence will come and dwell with you when you obey. Right? It doesn't say before you obey. It doesn't say that God's going to come along and like prod you in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? Because check this out. Check this out. He doesn't need to. You already know it's wrong. You already know it. You've already recognized it. If you didn't recognize it as being wrong, there wouldn't be the dissonance. There wouldn't be the tension. There wouldn't be the moment where you go, maybe this is a bad idea. Right? And so you don't need God to come along and push you because what God wants to see is he wants to see how willing you are to mold your character. He wants to see how willing you are to just obey. And then when you obey and God's presence comes on you and he comes and it says that he will make his home with you, his dwelling with you, that his, his, his presence is spirit, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, spirit coming and dwelling with making their home with you. God's going to begin to nurture inside of you making those right decisions. It's about conviction. Christianity, I'm telling you, uh, a lot of times, like I said earlier, we get lost in this idea that it's all about just like Jesus and salvation. We get saved and that's it. And that's all we have to worry about. But right here, he lays it out for us. 
that if we love him, we'll obey his commands. Obey. How many of you guys like that word? <laughs> not this guy. <laughs> obey does not sound like a good time to Connor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like obeying, it just sounds hard. It sounds rough. It sounds, uh, it, it sounds, it sounds not fun. But the consequences of going the other way are so much worse. Because the consequence of going the other way is this. You will feel guilt. You will feel shame. You will eventually walk away. Because eventually you'll convince yourself that there's no way that you can succeed. You'll talk to yourself over and over again. There's no way I can, I can succeed in the area of sexual purity. There's no way that I can succeed in the area of, of honesty and integrity. There's no way that I can succeed, uh, you know, in, in all sorts of different areas of your life until you choose to obey. Now, I know what you want me to say. You want me to say that God's going to come on you with like some Holy Ghost fire and he's going to just make it all right and you're going to like, you're going to get it and he's just going to push you through it. You know what I mean? But he's not going to because God is interested in seeing your character at work which you really, really, really believe in action? Are you really, really willing to put what you believe on the line and let your actions follow it and say, you know what? I choose this. I choose God. I choose what God says is right over what maybe I think or I've been doing or the direction I've been going. And, you, and, and we, we, we think about that and we go, man, but isn't that the reason you gave your life to Jesus in the first place? Isn't that the reason why you looked at things and you said, you know what, I'm messing things up. I'm going the wrong direction. I'm doing the wrong thing. I want to do it God's way. And then we have that moment where it's like God's way or my old way. God's way or my old way. I'm going to do it the old way. You know what I mean? God wants us to obey. And tonight I want you to pray about this. I want you to really think about it because um, I honestly feel like this is, this is something that God has been, has been stirring inside of me. And it's, it's something that I, I started reading. I've been reading in 2 Samuel. Um, I've just been kind of working my way through it. And I finished up 2 Samuel, and I finished up on this, on, on this story where David, you know, he, uh, Aaron, Aaron was up there, and he read uh, a psalm of David. This man who's, like, been labeled the man after God's own heart, though he was a guy who failed a ton, made a lot of really stupid mistakes. And at the very end of his reign as king, he made another one of those really stupid mistakes where God told him, do not do this, and David just went ahead and did it anyway. And then at the, at the end of 2 Samuel, the very last chapter, I believe it's uh, 23, 24, um, it talks about how God begins to uh, basically bring this like plague or the sickness on the people of Israel, right? He's bringing this plague, the sickness on the people of Israel. And so David, he recognizes what he did that was wrong, and then he goes and he says, he says, you know what, I need to make a sacrifice unto God. I need to find the area within me that's wrong, and I need to set it right. I need to find the area of my character that has gotten skewed, that allowed me to do this thing that God told me not to do, and I need to set it right. And he goes and he finds this guy uh, who owns a piece of land and a threshing floor, and he's going to build this altar, and he's going to, um, in, their, in their time, they sacrificed animals, and that's just how they, that's how they did it. Um, and so he goes up, and he, and, he, and he goes to build this altar, and he looks at this guy, and this guy sees him, and he goes, this is King David. Because of his position, because of his place, because of who he is, I'm going to give him the land, I'm going to give him the threshing floor, I'm going to give him uh, the, the animals to sacrifice, I'm just going to give it all to him. And David, in his honesty, recognizing that within him there were some character issues, some character issues that were wrong, because it would have been really easy and really, really appealing for a person of power to say, you know what, I, I earned that and I deserve that, I deserve for you to give me all this stuff. 
just like we all want God to just give us all this stuff. We just want God just to solve all these problems for us when God is really looking at us saying, no, I've given you the tools to do it. But, but David, in all of his honesty, he looks at this guy, and, and you know what he says to him? He says, no, I'm going to buy all of it because I will not offer unto God that which costs me nothing. Following God, following Jesus will require sacrifice. It will require obedience. It will require you to look at your life and in those moments of cognitive dissonance where the tension rises up for you to look at it and say, even though this is really appealing, I know that this is right, so I'm going to sacrifice this thing that costs me something for the right thing, to do the right thing. Because I'm not willing, I'm not willing to offer unto God that which costs me nothing. I'm not willing to sing songs off of a screen that I don't really mean, that don't really mean anything to me. And I'm not willing to, to sing them and not be affected by them. Uh, tonight I want to I have an opportunity to pray, uh, to, to kind of ask God where we're at with these things. And I didn't really, uh, I didn't really prepare this in advance. But will you guys go back up there and play some music? you guys do that all the time? I'm sure you guys are ready to go, right? You know what's up. It's good. We're going to go back into a time of worship. We're going to go back into a time uh, of just kind of singing and reflection because if we don't do this, uh, it, just, it, just, it just won't happen. You won't, you won't take steps in your life or your walk with God unless you intentionally do it, uh, unless you choose to understand and hear God's commands, have them, and obey. And tonight I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to be really, really honest with yourself, and then I want to ask you to step out and do something really, really brave and I want you to go and talk to somebody else about it. Uh, I, want, I want you to go and talk to somebody about it. Uh, whether it's a leader, um, you know, one, one, of the, one of the epic, uh, epic life leaders. Or it's maybe a friend that you've come with that you know really, really well. Because there's one thing that I've come to really understand really, really well. Right? Because what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to think about this. I want you to pray about it. And then I want you to make a commitment to do the right thing. But one of the things I've figured out is that commitments made in the dark are not very frequently carried out in the light. You know what I'm saying? When we make a commitment to ourselves, uh, you've ever done that before? You're like, I am just committing to not do this anymore. And you do it by yourself. And the next thing you know, you're back doing it, and you're making excuses, and you're just doing it over and over again, and it's right back to the way of life. And it, across this room tonight, it could be any number of things. I mean, it could be, it could be, it could be huge, it could be monumental, it could be earth-shattering for you, or it could be something that's really, really, uh, really, really simple. Maybe tonight it's, it's that you've known for a while, you know, that God wants to do this thing in your life and he wants to use you in a certain way, uh, but you just haven't walked it out yet. And you know God is tugging on you and saying, listen, I need you to go do this. And you keep going. I know that's the right thing to do, but what I'm doing right now is a lot more comfortable, so I'm going to keep doing it. Maybe for you it's an area where you, you know you've been making the wrong choice. It's a relationship. It's a friendship. It's a habit. You know what I'm saying? It's a direction in your life. And you know, for, and you've known for a while now that you should not go there and you should not do that thing. But you've just been going. You've just been doing. Tonight I want you to pray about it. I want to ask you guys to stand up with me. And uh, we, can, we can bring the lights down a little bit. We got that. Uh, I just want to have a moment of reflection. I want to have a moment where we really get honest uh, with ourselves and with God. And we say, listen, God. I'm not willing to offer you that which costs me nothing. I'm not willing to go there anymore. God, I'm singing these words and it's coming from my heart because I can't handle the, the tension anymore. I can't handle losing this battle anymore. And I know that the only way for me to get a grip on it is to identify it, pray about it, 
go and talk with someone about it so I can make a commitment with them and they can keep me accountable and then to move forward and to obey when the moment comes and to make the choice when the moment comes. I want to ask you, I don't know how often you do this in here, but I'm going to ask you to be really brave. Go ahead and close your eyes with me, if you could. If you could close your eyes, everybody in the room, close your eyes. I just want to have like a personal, private moment tonight. Tonight, if you would say that, you know what? I know that there is this thing, there's an area in my life, a thing I've been doing, a place I've been going, a person that I've been with. There's something going on in my life that I know is wrong. I know it's wrong. And I've been ignoring the tension and I've been ignoring the opportunity to do the right thing and I've been doing the wrong thing. I just want to ask you to slip your hand up in the air. You know you've been doing the wrong thing. You know you've been going the wrong way. Just slip it up in the air. Totally private. Between you and God. Thank you. You can go ahead and put your hands down. Tonight I want to I ask you to really pray about it. And, 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 and for all of us, I mean, maybe you didn't raise your hand. Maybe you know that it's true for you on the inside. Hey, I, I mean... I'm not standing up here because I'm perfect. I'm standing up here because I'm, I am saved by grace, but God's put me here to do the right thing, and so I'm doing the right thing. But I mess this thing up all the time, just like you do. And I get back up, and I dust myself off, and I want to ask you to do that tonight. I want to ask you to pray, be really honest. If we have the leaders from Epic, Epic Life, if we have the leaders come up and, and have an opportunity to pray with people. Uh, if you're a leader from Epic Life, you can come up and just uh, make yourself ready to pray uh, with someone. You can get away. open your eyes, open your eyes. Tonight there are people on the side of the room over here that are standing in the place that they're in because they believe in you and they believe in God and they believe, they believe that you are here to live that epic life, to go to that next level, to live a life that inspires people. But in order to do that, you're going to have to get your character in line with what God says is right. No one will ever look at your life and go, man, you know what, that person that person is close to God. That person has a deep relationship with God when our character is out of alignment. And tonight, if you raised your hand for any of those things, I want to ask you that as they go into worship, for you to just step out in faith and walk over and grab one of those people, talk to them about it, pray with them about it, and give them an opportunity to partner with you and bring in your character into alignment. Let's worship.